My name is Brian. I'm the lead pastor of Grand Valley Church, and we're a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope that this message helps you to explore faith and grow in your relationship with God. Good morning and welcome to our online service for Grand Valley Church. We are a community of faith located in Brandon, Manitoba, and we are committed to leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And today we want to wish an extra special happy Mother's Day to all the moms and to say thank you for all that you do to invest into other people's lives and to invest into the next generation. So we've been in a sermon series called I Am, where we've been talking about the way that Jesus, the ways that Jesus describes himself and how he teaches us about himself found in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. And the Gospel of John was written later than the other three. And he really focuses, is very intentional on some of the things that he tells us about who Jesus is from Jesus' own words and his own encounters. And so we've been walking our way through John. Last week we were in John chapter 8, and so today we're going to be in John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. And we're going to look at an event that happens that leads to a teaching that Jesus gives where he makes these two statements about himself that we can learn from. And so we're going to pick up the story today at the beginning of John 9 verses 1 to 2, where it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And right off the bat, the disciples are making an assumption about why this man is blind. They're saying, was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? Now this question that the disciples ask reveals a commonly held belief that all suffering must be punishment for someone's mistake. And that was a very common worldview in the first century, a very common worldview throughout all of biblical times. And in fact, it's actually still a common worldview today that we may not articulate it this plainly, but a lot of people will say something along the lines of, well, what goes around comes around and everything happens for a reason. These are statements that indicate this understanding that everything that goes wrong must be a punishment for something. But what this belief really reveals and what it tells us about the disciples and even what it tells us about us sometimes is that we have an inner desire to control almost anything that causes us pain and suffering. So as the disciples look at this man who's blind and they see the situation he's in in a a time where there is really no medical technology or anything of the sort, They see his plight as being blind, as pain and suffering, and they want to ask, what do I have to do to not get that? What do, is it my sin? Is it my parents' sin? What do I have to do to prevent myself from suffering the way that this man we see over here is suffering? See, what that reveals is that our desire for control is usually driven by fear. There is some piece of fear underneath what we're trying to get away from that we want to control. And so the disciples asked this question, was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? And Jesus replies this way, and this is what's going to set up where we're going today. It says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Now I want to be really clear about something that Jesus is saying here. He does not say that God caused this man to be born blind so that Jesus could encounter him today. 
What Jesus is declaring is that because the man is born blind, it is an opportunity for God's power to be displayed. In fact, what happens in this moment is the disciples are talking about blame and punishment. But Jesus refuses to talk about blame. Instead, he shifts the conversation to how God's grace is given in response to human need. He talks about how God's favor that is unearned and undeserved is given in response to a human need. And so the Gospel of John says this is what Jesus does next. Then he spit on the ground, he made mud with his saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And Jesus told him, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And so the man went to the pool of Siloam and washed, and he came back seeing. Now what's unique is Jesus didn't heal him instantly as Jesus did other times, but Jesus had some sort of a purpose in this that we're going to understand because the man had to go away. He had to put his faith in action and obey what Jesus commanded him to do. Go to the pool to wash and then seize for the first time in his life. And so this man comes back and everyone sees him and recognizes him and he now can see. He has been healed. And so what it says next happens is this. Then the people around, the people around him took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Now, the Pharisees are a group that have come up several times in this series, and they were uh, kind of a social political group within Judaism that believed in strict adherence to the law. In fact, their understanding of the world was if we could be devout enough, if we could be focused enough on God, if we could follow the law perfectly enough, then Israel would be restored. Now, if that sounds similar to where we started with the disciples, that's because it's really an extension of that. They're trying to control Israel's future. They're trying to control the future of their people with their devotion. But here's the tricky part is that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, the day of rest that was set aside for devotion to God. And so the Pharisees have this issue. And now if you've been with us for a little while here, we started our online church experience talking about Sabbath and how Sabbath was really made to meet the needs of man, not for people to serve the Sabbath. But the Pharisees kept the Sabbath law very strictly. And so as it is the Sabbath and this man had been healed on the Sabbath and Jesus had made mud as part of the process, the Pharisees are angry. And when they take the blind man and he has to tell his account of what has happened to these Pharisees, some of the Pharisees say this. They respond by saying, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. But others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? In fact, there is tension within the Pharisees as a group about what do we do about this, this man named Jesus? What do we do with this guy who says he is the Messiah, who can perform these miraculous signs and wonders that can only be from God, but he doesn't see things the way the Pharisees do? And in fact, Jesus has really aggravated the Pharisees because he has done what is good, he has done what is evidence of God restoring Israel and these miracles and the things that God is working towards. But at the same time, he is breaking the things that the Pharisees hold so dear, their Sabbath law and things like it. 
And so this leads to a bit of a showdown as the Pharisees are trying to figure out how to get this healed man to say something they can use to press charges against Jesus, to try and get rid of Jesus. But of course, the healed man isn't going to turn on Jesus right after he's been healed. And so eventually the Pharisees kick him out of the synagogue because they can't get anything useful out of him for their purposes. And then Jesus encounters the healed man again and talks with him and reveals to him that he is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah that's been promised for so long from the prophets all throughout their Hebrew scriptures. And so Jesus has a conversation with him and some Pharisees overhear part of it and they challenge Jesus about what he's saying. And so Jesus turns to these Pharisees. We don't know if they're the same ones that were around before. It just says to some of the Pharisees in the scriptures and to his disciples and to anyone in the crowd that would have been there. And Jesus makes this declaration. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. And so Jesus has taken a pretty hard left turn here because they've been talking about restoring vision. They've been talking about the Messiah. They've been talking about what's appropriate on the Sabbath. And Jesus right away goes to a sheepfold, which would have been this stone-walled pen that a group of shepherds would herd their flocks into, and it would only have one entrance one exit, one gate that the sheep could go in and out by. And at night, the sheep would be herded together into this sheepfold. And the gatekeeper would often sleep right in front of the gate. And so no one could come and get the sheep without encountering the gatekeeper. And so Jesus says, anyone who sneaks over the wall rather than going through the gatekeeper is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And people don't really know what's going on. They don't really understand why is Jesus talking about sheep all of a sudden when we were talking about other things. And so John goes on, he continues, he says, those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what it meant. So he explained it to them. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. See, Jesus is setting up a comparison between himself and the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day. And he's saying, all who have come before me have climbed over the walls of the sheepfold. They have entered with intention to harm the sheep. But the true sheep didn't listen to those ones because Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the only point of entry into the sheepfold and out of the sheepfold. And so he goes on. He says again, yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find good pastures. So Jesus is is setting up this metaphor of saying, I am the only path to what you need. The sheep are not trapped in the sheepfold forever because there is no sustenance in the sheepfold. They have to leave the sheepfold and go out to find the good pastures where they can graze. And that's what a a good shepherd would do every morning. They would collect their sheep from the sheepfold, take them out through the gate to take them to the place of provision, to the fields, the meadows where they could graze and grow. And then Jesus continues. He contrasts the thief and the shepherd again, where he says, The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, in the Greek, 
the word that's used for rich doesn't have anything to do with money. In fact, it talks about going way beyond what is necessary, about having more than you could need to survive. And so Jesus continues. He says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. He's saying, my intentions for the flock are way better than anyone who climbs over the edge of the sheepfold to harm the sheep. And so then he says this, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Now we know, looking back at Jesus' words, that he's talking about his crucifixion. That he's talking about how he will lay down his life for the salvation of all of humanity. And Jesus says this right from the beginning. Now he's not only the gate, but he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who leads the sheep in and out of the sheepfold. And I am the one who will protect the sheep and lay down my life for the sheep. And then he adds another contrast to it, to this illustration that he's weaving together for the Pharisees and the people around. And he says, the hired hand runs away because he's only working for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. A hired hand caring for a flock isn't going to put their own life at risk just for the pay. But a shepherd who knows his sheep and loves his sheep and cares for his sheep will stand in the gap between what would threaten the the flock and not. And in fact, if we go to the Old Testament, to the stories of David, before he was king, when he was a shepherd boy, we know that there were times when he fought bears and lions and animals that would come to want to prey on the sheep. A shepherd in those days had to have a bit of a warrior skill set to protect them. And so Jesus is saying he is that good shepherd, that he will lay down his life for the good of his flocks. And he says, I know them and they know me. This is a picture of relationship. And this is where I think the, the Pharisees standing around would start to clue in and realize that Jesus is making some comparisons that he is declaring that he is the shepherd and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they are the ones who are the thief and the robbers and the hired hands, the ones who climb over the walls of the sheepfold instead of doing what is proper. Or they're the ones who are only in it for their own good. They're only in it for the money. And they flee and run away when danger approaches. See, the Pharisees were focused on a strict devotion and obedience to the law. All truth, no grace. But Jesus focuses on a relationship that provides security and abundant life. And sometimes, even in our own faith today, we sometimes want to lean to the first one. And we think it would be easier if we just made it about the rules and just about the structure and just about devotion. But what Jesus does time and time again is he calls us to a relationship. And in this way, these metaphors he used are about finding security in who the shepherd is and finding an abundant life in where the shepherd leads us to. See, if we rewind and we go to the what prompted all this, what began this narrative in this portion of John, is the disciples asked a question about why suffering happens. And what that led to was a blind man being healed and Jesus teaching about security and relationship. 
We can get stuck in the questions about suffering sometimes and not actually see that what God is doing is something bigger and further than the questions we get stuck in sometimes. So when Jesus says this, he says, I am the good shepherd. He's saying that he has a relationship with us and he leads us beyond what we need into a place of abundance. And that means to a place where we have more than what we need. It's not saying abundance in wealth, abundance in money, but it's saying we will have more than what we need. And the gate protects us from the false teachers. He says he is the only path. There's only one gate to a sheepfold. And he provides that path into security of identity, into knowing who we are and who God created us to be. And we're actually in a, in a later teaching that we come to in this series. We're going to dive more into what does it mean that Jesus is this path to salvation that keeps coming up time and time again throughout all of the Gospels. Because what's happening here in this passage is it starts with this fear of loss of control and wanting to control the things that could lead to suffering. But when we recognize when Jesus takes us to talking about being our gate and our shepherd, we do not have to be fearful of what we cannot control. In fact, when we have a relationship with our shepherd, and when we step into the sheepfold, into the place of protection, we don't have to feel fear when we're facing things we cannot control. Now, we will still experience fear, but fear doesn't have to control our actions and our choices and the decisions that we make. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead in the Gospel of John for a moment and go to the last evening that Jesus had with his disciples before his arrest. And Jesus summarizes what he has been telling them. And he says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on this earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus tells his disciples they're going to experience difficulty. And in this passage, he's not just knowing, talking to his disciples right then. He knows that these words are going to be carried on for generations and generations and generations of Jesus' followers. But he ends with this, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, Jesus is constantly calling us into a relationship with him and encouraging us to find our security and our identity in who he is. Jesus has overcome everything. Jesus has the final victory over death and sorrow, sickness, sadness, over everything. And that victory is extended to us through faith through us realizing and recognizing who Jesus is. When we put our trust in him, when we enter into a relationship with him, we find who God created us to be. And this is what, this is what Jesus is leading all of us towards and why Jesus is constantly pursuing everyone and desiring a deeper relationship with him. Because when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we don't have to be consumed by fear. So we have to ask ourselves this question. When we feel fear, does it lead us to desire control? Or can that fear point us towards Jesus? Will we be like the disciples 
who when we see something we want to avoid or we see suffering, we just ask, well, what do I have to do to avoid that? And how could we instead have a relationship with Jesus that is the relationship of the shepherd and the gate, the path into knowing who we were created to be, into finding security in ourselves, being grounded in our relationship with God? And can that lead us into this good shepherd relationship where we know who Jesus is and understand the way that God knows us and the way that the Holy Spirit is with us and within us? when we get to know him and know that Jesus knows us. See, when we experience fear, it can point us in one of two ways. But we can choose which way we respond. If we want to respond the way of the disciples and the way of the Pharisees, or we can choose to respond the way of the gate and the shepherd in knowing who Jesus is. I want to end just with a word of prayer and a prayer for all of us together. God, we know that you came into the world to to point the way to you, to lead us into a new understanding and a deeper relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be able to discover that, that we would be able to find our security in you and who you are as the gate, as the good shepherd, as our comforter, as our protector, as our encourager, Lord, I pray that we would be able to put our trust in you and experience the depth of the relationship that you desire with us. In your name we pray. Amen. And so, folks, I want to thank you for being here for our online service, whether you're watching it live or on demand later or you're listening on the podcast. If you want to get in touch with us at the church, with myself, or if you have even a a confidential prayer request you want to share with our prayer ministry, that's still meeting weekly over Zoom, would you go into the description on this video and click the online connect card link? And you can share with us, you can get in touch, maybe you have some questions you want to ask, and we'd love to start a conversation with you about what your next steps are in your walk with Jesus. Or maybe we can spend some time diving into some of the questions that you have about faith. But anyways, thanks for being here with us. And next week, we are going to be back with our online service digging into the next of the I Am series that we're doing together. So I hope you have a great week and see you online next Sunday. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Our Sunday services are online only, streaming at 11 a.m. on YouTube. You can find out more about our church by going to mygrandvalley.ca or you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for My Grand Valley. Thanks for listening. Thank you.